You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Well, um, we're in uh, John chapter 9, and man, this is an awesome chapter, awesome account in the life of Jesus. Um, Jesus just doing God things because Jesus is the great God man, uh, God incarnate, God made flesh, and uh, we're going to see how awesome he is today. Uh, today, the shape of um, just the few verses that we've got is we're going to be looking at the questions, the healing, and then the Christ. The questions, the healing, and then the Christ. Um, if you want to, you know... Uh, I thought it would, be, would have been cute to call it like the man and the mud and the Messiah, but, you know, I'm not being cute today. So apart from the mustache, you, you love it. All right. The questions. We're going to start with verse one. This is Jesus taking a walk with his disciples. He passed by and he saw a man born blind from birth. And his disciples said to him, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Keep your Bible open. Uh, I love this. Firstly, this is awesome. The disciples walking with Jesus, asking questions. The disciples discerning the world around them in the presence of Jesus. It's like a posture of thoughtful prayer, seeking to know the way that God is at work in the world. Just taking a walk with Jesus. Willing to ask questions. Is that the shape of your life? Do you have questions? I love the model of the disciples here. They don't, do, they don't Google. They don't podcast. They don't go to the wise sage of this age. They go to Jesus. How good's that? First two verses. It's okay to ask Jesus your questions. He's big enough for your questions. He wants to hear from you and your questions. Jesus calls us into a relationship, not into a bunch of rules and religion. Ask Jesus your questions. Because look what happens. Verse 3. Jesus answered. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Um, some really interesting things to note here with the disciples and their questions. Uh, the, the questions from these disciples, they are not incorrect. They're not incorrect assumptions that they're making. The disciples say, who sinned? This man, he's blind. That's not cool. Who sinned? Him or his parents? Now, the disciples are basically at this point, they're still expressing some good theology. Um, maybe he sinned. Not wrong, to not wrong to assume that maybe he sinned for him to be born blind. You know, Isaiah 59, these are some good disciples. They would, have, they would have known this. It says, but your iniquities, your sin, your transgressions have made a separation between you and your God and your sins and, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Your sin can cause a separation between you and God. The disciples would have known Ezekiel 18. The soul, of who, the soul of whose sins will die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. 
you can be personally responsible for your separation between you and God. And the disciples are asking, did he do something for him to be blind and to have this limitation on him? The disciples would have known Leviticus 26. When they would have said, thus saith the Lord, if you spurn my statutes, said God, if, you, if, if your soul abhors my rules, says God, so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I will do this to you, says God. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consumes the eyes and make the heart ache. Who sinned, this man? Your sin can screw you up. And it continues to this day. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Blindness, affliction, hardship can be a consequence of personal rebellion to God's way, sin. Many of us know this experience, don't we? We've all done dumb stuff and paid the piper or are still paying the piper. But still, just to lift the heaviness of the moment, still a narrow-minded question from the disciples, right? Who sinned? This man? Hold on, guys. The man that was born blind? Like, what was he doing in the womb? Graffitiing the walls? You know? Tying knots in the umbilical cord or something? I don't know what he's doing in there. It's like, disciples, what? But still, a good theology of inherited sin, you know, from Adam, the first father, but that's a, another sermon for another time. But so, so, so the disciples, they, you know, they hedge their bets and they go, well, maybe it's their parents. Maybe it's the parents' fault that this guy was born blind. Again, good theology of the Old Testament, when, G, when God reveals himself to Moses, what does he say? He says, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. But then he also goes on to say later on in that passage, doesn't he? Later on, in the, later on in his revelation, he says, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Applications for parents in the room, don't screw up your kids by dishonoring God. Your actions can have generational spiritual consequences. Consequences. Did you know that your kids can inherit from you spiritual brokenness? They can suffer from your silly behavior. And if you know that you are guilty of this, Jesus would say, stop running from your guilt. Go to Jesus. Come to me. Turn to him. Seek his forgiveness. Start afresh with the help of his Holy Spirit. Do it for your soul and for the sake of the souls of your children and your children's children. There's mercy and forgiveness at the foot of the cross for parents that know that they've screwed up and for kids that know that their parents have screwed up to forgive them and to receive forgiveness themselves and to start anew. This is the good news of who Jesus is and what he's doing. Go to Jesus. So notice the assumptions of the disciples aren't incorrect. The dis but the disciples' question wasn't, wasn't wrong, but it still isn't the right question because Jesus, he gives an answer. 
but he doesn't answer their question directly, does he? You notice that? Well, tricky Jesus. He's tricky like that, Jesus. Jesus shows that there's more going on than what they at first may think. And what's going on here is not, is not them needing to know who's been bad, but that it's to show that God is very, very good. In this situation of this blind man, the disciples have a question and Jesus isn't trying to inform them as to who has been bad for this situation to happen. But this situation is to show that Jesus, that God is very, very good. The question that Jesus answers isn't who is responsible, but for what reason? Who was, who sinned that this man was born blind? This man was born blind. The question isn't who is responsible, but for what reason? For what reason? I think Jesus is teaching his disciples here and us. He's like, don't focus on how we got here. Let's look at what is it for? Jesus leans, leans in to speak into this situation to say, instead to say, how could this happen? Not how could this happen, but what is God doing? What is God doing? And he tells us. Doesn't he? Still got your Bibles open, verse 3. He says, what is God doing that the works of God might be displayed in him? That the works of God might be displayed in him. It turns out that Jesus is saying, this man, this man who was born blind, is being used by God to show the great things that God can do. The calling on this man's life has been to endure a temporary limitation to be an instrument of God's glorification. This man who was born blind, the reason was so he got to the joy of being used by God. This man, in his life up to this point of incapacitation, has been one of delayed gratification for his miraculous restoration and God's proclamation. And yes, for this man born blind, it was an involuntary choice. It was an involuntary calling one that was not his own, but that was a personal call that in the end was supremely valued, wasn't it? This is sometimes hard to wrap our heads around though, isn't it? The man was born blind. Now, some of us, he would have felt a personal limitation or affliction. And for some of us, many of you today would feel a personal limitation or would have a felt affliction. I wonder if even as we enter into this passage today, perhaps the words of Jesus, at least maybe they give you another perspective. Another perspective. That perhaps you might be able to see your life your life's hardships as a call to display God's glory. 
Perhaps your life's hardships are a call to display God's glory. Maybe this is a new category for you. A new category that in the face of a trial, you would say, let's see how the works of God might be displayed through this. Or maybe now in the midst of suffering, you might be able to think, I wonder how the works of God might be displayed in this. Or in the middle of a storm, it might be new for you to ask, what works of God might be displayed in this? Maybe that's a new category for you. It was for the disciples. Or maybe you're still not there yet. Maybe this question still lingers. It's an obvious question. You might be asking, isn't this cruel on God's part to make this man blind? Isn't it a joke on this man's life that God would use him in this way just to show his godness? Doesn't seem very loving of God to do this, maybe some of you would think. Maybe that's what you're thinking. If that's you, maybe to, maybe to consider that question, it's helpful to ask some other questions. When we look at this blind man, I wonder what he would have said at the end of this felt experience. Someone come up, come up to him and say, I don't know, what was his name? I don't know, Ray or I don't know, Charles. Um, you've been blind your whole life and now you can see aren't you angry at God that he made you blind for your whole life what was his reaction what do you expect him to say oh yeah this is terrible this is an absolute atrocity for the last 30 years I haven't been able to see and then just Jesus waltzes up and he heals me I'm so annoyed is that what's going on look I it's hard, we, you know, we, we make some connections. If it was me, be like blind my whole life, this sucks, this is at least what I got. And then the son of the most high God enters into my life and without me even asking, I'm like there and then I hear like some punk disciples as I'm like there just like sitting. Hey, Jesus, was this man born blind? Hey, they're talking about me. Was this man born blind because of his sin? Like, oh, I was born blind. Who are these jerks? Or because of his parents' sin? Like, I don't know. I never saw my parents do anything. Ugh. And then Jesus is like, no. And then you hear, oh, someone's touching me. Ugh. Now go wash in the pool of Siloam. Yeah. On the other side of that, you're just like, this is so unfair. You'd be like, Jesus healed me. I got to have Jesus spit in my face. That's awesome. I can now see. I think that's probably a logical conclusion to be able to go, well, is God being unfair? It's just like, well, I kind of endured a little bit of mediocrity in life so that I could have this incredible experience of God's power in my life. This is awesome. It's amazing. I mean, we, we can, I think we can draw this, we can, we can, we can, we can land here, because 
Look at verse 30. Still got your Bibles open? He said, when Jesus comes back to him, he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. That's not the action of a dude that's angry at God for being blind for the first half of his life. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. How good. He, this, this guy who was born, like he had some temporary limitation of blindness, but it led to an experience of true, authentic, fulfilled human existence. Is that unloving on God's part? No. So that's one question. Ask the blind guy what he thinks. I think he was quite happy to just, you know what, that was my thing to carry. But um, man, I got to experience God in such a way that it just completely eclipses all of the pain that's gone before. Wow, God is real and he's at work and I now have this joy inexpressible and filled with glory. So that's one question. Talk to the blind guy and see what he thinks if this is unfair. Second question that maybe you ask if this is unfair or is God being unloving is what do you consider a basic human need to make a judgment on what is loving? What do you consider is a basic human need to be able to make a judgment on what is loving or not? See, the question, is this fair, is this loving on God's part, puts us in the position of just like, we are the weak, moral, judgment characters of the world and we're going to determine what's right and wrong. Like if an atheist is to ask this question, is this loving? It'd be like, well, hold on a minute, mate. According to your philosophy, this guy just got dealt a bad hand and now he's got to deal with it. But now you have to step back and ask the question, how on earth did Jesus, the guy who says he's God, spit on the ground, make mud and heal him? <laughs> like you can't play the unloving card now, mate. Like, can't play that card. Not logical. Not going to work. Or another question. More than basic human need, being able to see, people say that's a basic human need, being able to see, what is most valuable to you? What is most valuable to you? This will tell you something about the way that you see God. What is most valuable to you? You see, let's play a game of would you rather. Would you rather to be able to visually see the world or to be seen and loved by God, the creator of the world. I know what I'm picking. What about, would you rather, a mediocre life with your basic faculties, distant from the person and work of Jesus, or a difficult life that, it, that has an experience of God so transcendent and miraculous that it just one day completely eclipses all past pain and loss because of the joy of knowing him in his glory, where in his presence is fullness of joy at his right hand is for pleasures forevermore. God, you can take my sight, you can take my hearing, heck, take my legs, take my surfboard. To live is Christ, to die is gain. The Apostle Paul says, we count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found 
in him. What is most valuable to you? What is most valuable to you? See, that's just like the Christian perspective, and some of you are like, yeah, that makes sense. But like, people take this perspective into every sort of every other worldly thing in the world as well, don't you? Have you ever seen like a hardcore athlete, like a winner athlete? You ever seen them like train and take their diet? Like they're going without so much stuff, all the basic human needs. They're going without donuts. You know, they're going without like late nights. They're going without entertainment. They're training hard. And what? For the glory of at the end of the season to be able to raise up the cup. All of the sacrifice for that one moment. Or look at a student or an apprentice. For that qualification, all of the sacrifice, all of the giving up. So that at the end of it, they get their piece of paper and then get a job, hopefully. But it's really hard because they need prior experience and they haven't had it yet. So I just graduated. How on earth can I get a graduate job with prior experience? Sorry, that's just the story of my life. No, not the story of my life. It's, it's many of your, some of your lives. But. <clears throat> we can trust God. We can trust God in our circumstances when we feel that we are going without, missing out, and when we feel that we don't have what the world says we should. Why? We can go without those things because whether it's self-inflicted or whether it's just what God has allowed to us to come from the goodness of his sovereign hand, what the enemy means for evil, God uses for good. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And we can know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So maybe you're in a spot of blindness or hardship or suffering. This many people here, I'd say there's a lot of us that feel that way. And maybe that is a result of your sin. Maybe that is a result of the sin of your parents. Maybe it is just simply the result of sin in this world and that's how things have worked out. In the end, don't keep trying to look back to the cause. Look to Christ. And consider, how are the works of God going to be displayed through this? And be hopeful. How is God going to meet me in this? It probably won't be mud rubbed into your eyes. But there will be a moment of liberation. There will be. God is going to keep giving you the grace you need to endure the pain and the turmoil and the trial. But there will be a moment of liberation. And maybe the life is going to be little tiny moments of liberation along the way glimmers of hope, enough strength to get through the next day, the next hour, just get out of bed. But it's important to remember that some Christians don't get their ultimate moment of liberation in this life. Some Christians die with cancer. 
Some Christians die blind. They die not ever hearing again. They die with back pain. They, buy with, they die with mental and moral anguish. Many Christians have died with those ailments, but they still get a moment of liberation, don't they? Don't we? Why? Because we follow Christ crucified and resurrected from the dead. We have Christ's promises in our midst and in our hearts that this is not all that there is. There is a day coming that Jesus promises, I am making all things new. Where there will be no more pain, there will be no more crying. We will feel the embrace of God and we will see his face. Our faith will become sight and we will be like the blind man who was just like, I believe, I worship you. And we'll look back on the past life and like, God, you carried me through that. You're awesome. And look at this on the other side. I'm so glad I endured. Thank you for carrying me through it. There is a guaranteed gospel peace for those that look upon the Son of Man and at the cross. Jesus, who suffered and bled more infinite and experienced more infinite pain than we could ever imagine, he brought us close so he could bring us in. He is the king and he is the savior of our souls. So I ask, have you seen Jesus in this way? Have you come to him in your pain? Are you considering God's work in your life? And you have accepted Jesus. Have you accepted Jesus' offer of peace? He offers guaranteed rest and restoration from your pain. He's offering it today. Take it today for tomorrow, maybe too late. That is the questions for the men or the man. Let's think about the healing. Or the mud. This is a fun one. Fun one. Verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, Jesus spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Go, Jesus. And he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Sorry, this isn't like, guys, I don't want to see any more spitting after today. Like that's this, this is Jesus doing Jesus things. This is not permission to be spitting all over the place. All right. Um, important side note. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So, we, so he went and washed and came back seeing. Let's think about the healing. Let's think about the mud. Now, this is a, a bit of a side note, but I think it's important to say. The healing was via the mud. Jesus didn't need the mud, but he used it as a physical means to bring about the healing. Jesus could have said, see, he could have just touched him. But Jesus made mud. There's a bunch of things which we can go into this. I'm not going to do this for long, but there's one thing I want to mention as an aside that I think that this raises from this text. And I want to mention briefly the use of medi medications 
or ointments for anointments. Okay? Now, the Bible is full of means of healing. Means of healing. Paul encourages Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach. The, there is shown the medicinal properties of olive oil and alcohol for its uses in dressing wounds. Paul, on his missionary church planting journey, takes with him who? Luke. Luke as a, is a historian, but what's his primary trade? He's a doctor. Why is that? Because Paul kept getting beaten up for preaching the gospel. Kept getting rocks thrown at him, getting kicked and punched and flogged and whipped. He needed someone to be like, and we'll stitch that one up, and I'll give you an ice pack here, mate, and uh, that won't be cool in 2020 because physios will figure out something else, but take that. You know, we'll give you a cast. You know, here's some crutches. <clears throat> there is means that God gives us for uses of healings. Now, I take a moment to say there is unfortunately, sadly, frustratingly, an, ideal that, an idea that gets around in churches that is propagated by, I think, well-meaning Christians, but is certainly theologically thin, that medication is bad and should be avoided. Like, that's baloney. Like, I know we live on the surf coast and we're all into natural things and bioorganic and do all that stuff. That's good. Look after your body. But unsolicited advice regarding pharmaceuticals based on what is spiritual is not helpful, is not wise, it's not appropriate, it's not loving. See, I studied as a physiotherapist and worked as a physiotherapist. And one of the things that even as a medical professional who had to still do subjects on pharmaceuticals was... It's not your job to talk to that person about their prescription medication. Leave that to the professional. And be like, sure, that's great. I certainly don't want to get sued. <laughs> also, as a physio, we would use aids to help people when they were struggling in different ways. Break a wrist, you splint it up. You roll an ankle, you give crutches temporarily. Um, you could encourage people in the use of painkillers and anti-inflammatories. Crutches, casts, pain medications, anti-inflammatories, useful. And sure, you don't want to be dependent on them forever. Yeah? Some people have to be. Some people have really bad accidents and they've got to be in a wheelchair for the rest of their life. Is it unspiritual? that they're in a wheelchair, dependent on this medical aid so they can get around? Should we be saying to them as brothers and sisters in Christ, it's because you do not have enough faith and you need to believe and then you can rid this wheelchair of your life? There's preachers and teachers on television and on YouTube that are just spouting out so much rubbish that is so unhelpful. Sorry, this really frustrates me because I've been in the medical world and I've seen how it really messes with people. Damage gets done. As a family of faith, as brothers and sisters in Christ, it is inappropriate and not our job to pronounce judgment and then give, and then give verbal new treatment plans for someone who is in the midst of a care plan written by a medical professional.
And how much more destructive is it to imply that someone, that because they are prescribed an intervention, that is their, that their faith in Jesus is somehow insufficient? There's much more to be said on that topic. But at least hear that. If you want, we can do a six-week series on prescription medication. What the Bible has to say about it. But let's pray for one another. Let's love one another. Let's care for one another. But let's not pronounce these judgments and give unsolicited pharmaceutical advice upon one another. Keep your things that you like to do for yourself to yourself. And if someone asks, you can have a conversation. But let's not pronounce these things over one another's lives, okay? Okay, second point under healing. Feel like a loose comedian holding the microphone like this. Sorry. Healing. It was only via it was via obedience in faith. This man's healing was via obedience and faith. The blind man, to receive his sight, had to do what? Walk and wash. Walk. This blind man still had to take a few more steps. In double darkness now, my eyes don't work, I'm blind, and now I have mud on my face. Okay, thanks, Jesus. He had to take a few more steps in the dark in obedience for the miraculous experience, faith. And then he had to wash. He had to go and do something that was important and significant for his healing in response to what Jesus said. Jesus didn't wash him. Someone else didn't wash him. He didn't just lie back and be like, oh, just let it all happen. He had to participate and cooperate in what Jesus, what God was doing in his life. This wasn't just a passive thing that he was doing on his own. There was a, a, a relational journey with this guy. Experiencing the power of God comes with obeying God. Experiencing the power of God comes with obeying God. Now, washing at the start of this guy's new life sounds familiar, doesn't it? Washing, where do we start when, we, when Jesus gives us new sight into the reality of our situations? Acts 2, Peter's big banger sermon where 3,000 people get saved at the day of Pentecost. When they heard his sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what do we do? And Peter said to them, repent, turn around, go a new way. And be baptized, be washed, be cleansed, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will be received the Holy Spirit. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And movement towards Jesus Christ ideally starts with the first steps of washing and baptism, doesn't it? Like there's still a lot about baptism. I'm just like, I just not have figured out. Like what is this thing? Like you just go into the water and like, like dunk them in. Like, I, I get a lot of the symbolism and all of the stuff that's going on, but it's still a weird thing, right? Just like putting mud on someone's face and being like, go wash. It's, it's, it's weird. But it's something that Jesus calls his people to do and I think sets us up in a posture of ongoing obedience in times where we're like, 
I'm not quite sure I understand what this is all about. Isn't that the Christian life? I would like to go and do this. My propensities and my proclivities and my preferences are telling me, go and do this thing. Eat this. Sleep with that person. Spend my money in that way. And then I come to face to face with Jesus in the Bible and he's just like, no, actually, I need you to do these things. And you're like, that doesn't make sense right now. But we go in faith, we walk in that direction, and we go and we do that thing. This is the pattern of life, looking to Jesus. A regular appeal to him and drawing near to Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, confession of our sin and repentance from that. It's a regular washing of every day. We st this guy starts his journey with Jesus with the washing of his eyes. If you're a Christian here today, many of you will have started your journey with Jesus in the waters of baptism in response to Jesus' call. Go, therefore, make disciples, teaching them all that I've commanded them. Be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Every day we are to be, on the first day and then every day, we are personally taking steps to clean out the filth of our lives, putting sin to death in cooperation with the work of God by his Holy Spirit in our lives. Yet not I, but Christ through me. Acts of obedience in faith are us, are us trusting that God will give us the strength to overcome that which we cannot overcome on our own. A life with Christ is a pursuit of cooperation with God in a continual cleansing and ongoing recreation by the power of God. See, James would say later on, as he writes, James is Jesus' half-brother, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The blind man, if he did not get up and go wash and wash his eyes, I suspect would still be blind. One theologian put it this way, this was probably the best quote that I read whilst on annual leave. So listen up, the ripper. I filtered them out for you. Here it is. Faith is more than an intellectual conviction, however sincere. Faith is a moral and spiritual attitude that commits the whole being to accepted and assured truth. Faith is more than belief. The devils believe and tremble but they do not trust. Faith is trust. It is not an opinion. It is not fiction. It is not a supposition. It is a faculty of vision, a process of verification, and an assurance of knowledge, a logic of life. It demands an honest and impartial mind, a pure and disinterested motive, a loyal and steadfast obedience. Following Jesus, faith in Jesus looks like obedience to Jesus. It's impossible to claim the family name of Christ and then look nothing like your older brother. It's impossible to call upon the name of God as your father and then look nothing like one of his kids. God as your father would lead and instruct you in the way that you are to live. James would say a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Verse 24. Go, wash. Is your life one of faith shown by your works? 
If an audit of your life was done, would you be someone that would be shown to trust God in your words, who trusts God in your works and not just in your words and your whims? Is your Christianity practical or simply intellectual? If you think that it's not, if you're convicted that it's not, then this day, turn to Jesus. Pray. Receive his forgiveness, his fresh start, and ask to be led again on the path of life by him, the good shepherd. Open your Bible and look to his way. Lastly, the Christ. Zoom out, big picture, big finish, nice and quick. John records for us his entire gospel, and he says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. You may have life in his name. See, this sign, this healing of the man born blind, what's the big idea? John, what are you thinking as you write this out? Chapter 9, Jesus was walking as he passed by. What's John writing? Well, we have so far considered some important truths about the nature of Christ and our response in considering his way in our walk. But let's, let's not miss the forest for the trees. Let's backtrack a little and retrace the mud, the healing, and Jesus' words so we're sure to get what I think John is really aiming at for us in deciding who Jesus is. In the mixing of the mud, we're back at the mud now, see Jesus as God's sent one who upsets the rule of the day by doing this work of making and mixing mud on the Sabbath day and remember that Jesus Christ is the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath. He stirs up these Pharisees as he stirs up this mud. He's just like, look at me doing some healing on your Sabbath day. I'm the king of the Sabbath. If you want rest, come to me. If you want restoration, go to Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. There is no restoration in no one else apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at Jesus stirring the mud, this mending he does with the earth and the dust of the ground. See him as God's recreating sent one. Genesis 2, where it all started, the Lord God made man from the dust from the ground and breathed, nostrils into, into his, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now Jesus, in John 9, he forms for this blind man out of the dust of the ground and with his own spit, a second chance for life, and he applies it to his new eyes as if to say, I've just made you new eyes out of the earth that I made all of you with. How <laughs> good Jesus. What a boss. Yeah, Pharisees, you believe that God made man out of the dust of the earth? What should I'm going to do with some dust? new eyes. I'm going to leave a little bit of mud on the outside that you can't see the new eyes yet, but he's going to go wash it off and then you'll see him. Then you won't believe. But we will. How good is Jesus? And in the healing of the eyes, see Jesus as God's sent one. 
as spoken by centuries before by the prophet Isaiah. Hear the word of the Lord. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an ancient, anxious heart, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God comes with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. This is a word of foreknowledge about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the glory of God was displayed in him in the fulfillment of this prophecy from Isaiah. There is strength, relief, and fearlessness in no one else apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then lastly, the light. See, it's so you could just so quickly just brush over this in your daily Bible reading plan, Jesus drops a bomb. In the words to his disciples, see that Jesus is God's sent one. You see, as God showed himself to Moses in the wilderness, in the glow of a burning bush, God led his people through the wilderness in the pillar of fire, and God is called by the singers of the Psalms. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And Jesus says of himself in verse 5 of our reading today, I am the light of the world. And John started this gospel by saying, the light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. And Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So today, I would say to you again, be like a moth for the first time. Sorry, I thought it the second time. We're not landing very strong here, are we? Terrible finish to the sermon, Louis. Be like a moth. Go to the light. Ask for forgiveness, a fresh start, and let the light lead you today to be walking in the newness of life that he wants to give to you. This is how good Jesus is. I'm going to pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you're just so good. So good. Blind man wasn't asking you to come by. You just saw him and you healed and you showed us the glory of God. You showed us the glory of yourself. And today we're so thankful that we can just consider that afresh and for the first time. Lord, we come to you and we ask for the forgiveness of all the ways in which we know we have dishonored you. And we again appeal to you and ask that you would wash us and cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness. And that today we would walk in newness of life, knowing that we can be fearless, we can be confident, uh, and that we can be at peace as we look to you in even the worst situations where we may feel blind, where we may feel that we're mourning, where we may feel that we're in pain. We are thankful that you are with us and you are the light of the world and you've overcome the world and that one day we will get to see you in all your glory. Come, Lord Jesus, in your precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> uh, as we close, I realized there was a, a lot there. 
Uh, so we want to give you some time to reflect over those words in John 9. Keep your Bible open. Maybe you read through it again. Uh, Brett and Lydia are going to play for us a song, which I think is wonderfully appropriate, called Amazing Grace. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.